and welcome to the Bread in the Wilderness podcast from St. Mark's Cathedral here in Salt Lake City. I'm Tyler. I'm Holly. And this is an episode of uh, Eat This Book where we pray the scriptures for the coming week, sort of in the style of Lexio Divina, teasing out uh, words, phrases, and images to ponder in our hearts with Mary uh, to learn a little bit about who and how this God of ours is and who God is calling us to be. Uh, so we'll start, as usual, with the uh, Colic for Holy Scriptures. Lancelot Andrews' feast day was yesterday. Uh, and then we'll go ahead and pray the Colic for Proper 22, the Sunday closest to October 5th. So the Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we to pray and to give more than we either desire or deserve. Pour upon the, us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid, and giving us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask, except through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A lot going on here. <laughs> Abundance of your mercy. The, the scriptures for, for the last like three weeks have been sort of highlighting uh, scarcity mindsets. Hmm. Jonah, uh, Joseph's siblings, yeah. who are anticipating vengeance and retribution, and all that's there is the deluge of uh, merciful tears and. I'll look after you and your little ones. Mm -hmm. you know, like, and so like there's there's this stark contrast between mm -hmm. the abundance of God's mercy uh, and the ways in which sort of scarcity is um, manufactured out of that. And the alternate scriptures even it's like the it's, it's all the man in the wilderness freaking out, you know, threatening violence, you know. Trying to hoard it up. Yeah, yeah, quails smacking them on the head that night, and, you know, bread falling out of the sky in the morning, and they're still managing to find a way to... <laughs> to be afraid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And envious, like the... Uh, it was sort of interesting that I was looking at that Greek for... Are you envious that I'm generous mm -hmm. from last week? 
and it's ophthalmos poneros, which is just evil eyed. Mm. It's like literally, it's got really doesn't have any. I don't know how they end up with envious. Hmm. It's evil eyed. Are you evil eyed? Tim, timbered vision. Yeah. Are you log eyed, or you know, like, are you seeing that unclearly that all you can see mm-hmm. is black? And anyway, I just mm. think that's mm-hmm. one of the things that's been sort of been woven through in the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody. Yes, I don't, I'll just keep mm-hmm. going if you want. But of the, I'm talking to somebody yesterday about um, praying with icons, and they were, they were asking how to pray with like an icon of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Oh, you know." I mean, one of the cool things is you can you can kind of just sit there, and if you're like I don't know, saying the Jesus prayer, you can just like look at the face of Christ while you're saying it. And the really interesting thing you notice is that you'll stop saying it and you'll start thinking about something else, but when you sort of come to your senses again and, you know, refocus your gaze on the the icon, Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus is still there, never went anywhere, still, Mm -hmm. like, always looking at you, right? And, um, Mm -hmm. or people who, like, pray with their eyes closed in the same way, like, they might look at the icon and then close their eyes and then they fall asleep or they go daydream and they kind of come back and they open their eyes and look at the icon and there he is Mm -hmm. and so while you were sleeping while you were daydreaming planning fussing it's all held in that steady loving gaze of Christ and I think gradually what happens is that the gaze the icon sort of an axe for us becomes like internalized Mm -hmm. that becomes the way the gaze that we're seeing through participate in yeah it's like there's really just one gaze essentially but the pointer to the constancy of yeah god's presence and attention and holding the light of our the light of our knowing i think is what um, augustine calls it Mm. um but that's just the, the more ready to hear like it's that the always open ear uh-huh. that is there whether because no question that <laughs> it's always more ready to hear than we to pray yeah uh, hmm. and more ready to give than we desire or deserve uh of this deserving and then later the good things for which we are not worthy to ask um, both of these are saying that yeah we may not deserve or be worthy uh, on our own uh, but in the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ all metrics and calculations of deserving and worthiness are wiped away um, it has nothing to do with anything. It's the abundance of God's mercy, God's readiness to hear and to give uh, that have the day. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, it's love without a why, in a way. Mm -hmm. Unearned. Doesn't need to be earned. And, you know, I, forgiving those things of which our conscience is afraid. Um, I mean, really, I, I was thinking about this in terms of like, you know, if what we're, if the Christian life is essentially like giving ourselves just as we are to God, who gives all of God's self to us in this sort of wonderful exchange, just Irenaeus calls it, right? Mm -hmm. um, then really confession is, like, that's confession. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it's this very, very curious kind of giving because, like, in, you know, the way, I don't know, our life works, you, you don't ever give, like, bad, stinky, horrible things to people you love. Right. Right. Unless you're... Not the idea. Right? <laughs> you know, maybe a gag gift, you know, whoopee cushion, or yeah. the fake dog poop, or, you know, the fake vomit, rubber or vomit. Or your kitten mouse pad. Yes. Things <laughs> like that. But <clears throat> as a general rule, it's not the way gifts work in between human beings. But... Um, Sort of like with the widow's might, like um, we we take whatever we have and mm -hmm. whatever we are, even the stuff is, that's not so nice, mm -hmm. and put that yeah. into the treasury, onto the altar. We offer that. Cast in all your living. Right. Yeah. And that is um, received just as it is. Mm -hmm love touched transfigured and handed back to us yeah uh, as um, something else yeah eucharist uh, yeah um but in our lives too yeah like when we hand over our yeah whatever yeah or mary of bethany is always doing this with mm -hmm. her joy and her grief the costly perfume, but also my brother is dead. Both she totally him. pours out yeah. in front of Jesus. And inviting in. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Why was I saying that, though? Because uh, it's important. <laughs> <laughs> um, confession, wonderful exchange. Uh... God, we offer to God those things of which our conscience is afraid oh, and receive mercy. Yeah, so that, like just the... I, I think there's like this, there's a certain like Rubicon that gets passed. Or crossed, rather. God, I'm sorry, I just like so COVIDized my brain. Um... When we s stop being afraid, mm -hmm. like that—that's the the Luther's sin boldly. 
Yeah. He's not saying run around, be a total unhinged maniac. Sure. But he's saying we can offer even those things of which our conscience is afraid, confident that they will be loved and received just as they are, as the most precious gift mm-hmm. uh, by a loving God mm-hmm. who will do something with them in mm-hmm. the same way that God draws resurrection life out of mm-hmm. shameful death on the cross and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. This is synonymous with humility, of just being exactly what we are, right. offering it to God in total confidence that mm-hmm. God can work with this. Right. Um, and so it's one of those things where, like, we might have heard that, like, people say, like, give it to God. Yeah. You know, you, they yes. say that a lot. Yeah. And I'm not always exactly sure what is meant by that. Or turn it over, mm-hmm. lay it at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. But all of those things, like they are, they're pointing to this very mm-hmm. same thing. Even if they sit a little uneasily with us, yeah. Um, because it's 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 a surrendering of um, self management, control, yeah. improvement. Um, it's a humble recognition of ourselves as we are, and mm-hmm. a handing to God who loves us just as we are right so there's this like just bedrock honesty yeah and clear-sighted humility about the whole deal mm-hmm. um, when that's actually taking place and when that's taking place like there's nothing of which our conscience is afraid mm-hmm. <laughs> because perfect love casts out fear yep um yeah, showered in the abundance of God's mercy. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the fear? Right. Yeah. This is another God goes first collect. Mm-hmm. Everything. Uh, yeah, our. Our lives are a response to God's grace uh, that comes first and calls us, uh, lures us, and our response is also enabled by that gift. We're never on our own. Good. I think that's probably good. Okay. Isaiah 5, huh? Okay, yeah. Mm. This is Isaiah 5, uh, 1 7. Let me sing for my beloved the love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, cleared it of stones, and planted it. With choice vines, he built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? What I expect, what, when I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. 
I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall be. It shall not be pruned or hoed. It shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds and they, that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a prophetic word. Uh, is Michael Curry's language. Isaiah is pointing us to God's dream for God's people. What's your beef with the dream thing again? Uh, it's real, not a dream. <laughs> but it's not a real beef. No, but like it's just a misunderstanding. I think sometimes people hear... Here it is, like God's a, dream as make believe. Well, God's dream is for justice, right? Which is what Michael Curry is saying and is what Isaiah is saying. Yeah. Uh, people of Judah as God's pleasant planting, expecting justice and righteousness. Is this the fast I declared? Yeah. No, and it's right. mending the breach. So, so get on with it. Yeah, and that has material consequences and working out here and now in this world. And I think sometimes people hear the God's dream as this airy by in the sky yeah. sweet by and by saved later vision of Christianity that kind of preempts work for justice now instead of like grounding a, it which, escape hatch kind of Christianity that's all about mm-hmm. some afterlife right where everything is like so in that idea is it all made I don't know what that idea is yes, doing okay. it doesn't work like, no okay. But yeah, yeah I mean, so the dream. The dream is it's not to be row, act- row, row your boat, but it's, I mean, it's it's Dr. King's dream. It's meant it's, to be actualized, yes. and manifest, and yeah. made material is what you're saying. Yeah. Through concrete acts of mercy and justice. Mm-hmm. And so what, it, what, what do we do with the gift here? What, is, what did we as human beings do with the gift? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, it's... Instead of justice, bloodshed. Yeah. A cry. Yeah. Right? The cry of the oppressed. Get wild grapes instead of grapes. Yeah. It's interesting that it's a love song. Mm-hmm. It's like more like a blues, I would say. <laughs> this is not like... Mm. No, no, no. Maybe it's like Roy Orbison kind of crooner. <laughs> it's a plaintive love song. Right. Prophets contrast 
the justice and mercy of God, uh, with the faithfulness of God, with our unfaithfulness, the inequity enacted by human beings. Mm-hmm. Inhabitants of Jerusalem, judge between me and my vineyard. God's justice in our perversion of it. There's the, and there's the tending of the vineyard, obviously, by God, but then there's also this like synergistic relationship between God mm-hmm. and human beings. And like the kind of terrifying thing about this is actually that like there, be, there comes a point where uh, it's made waste and it shall not be pruned or hoed. Mm-hmm. Overgrown or the overground briars and thorns. There's like this kind of chilling picture of like point of no return, where if something's not tended and cared for, mm-hmm. that it can be like irreparably damaged. Or yeah. I'm not sure how that sits with like eschatological hope, but yeah. Um, but as social comment, which the prophets are always doing, that that is true. There, mm-hmm. <laughs> there come times. Unquestionably broken and yeah. intractable. Yeah. Yeah. And that... I don't know, like, I think there's this, like, call to... the daily tending and pruning and hoeing of both our relationship with God and our relationship with neighbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not done in the abstract. It's done kind of in the minute particulars of tiny little acts of mercy. Mm-hmm. Tending to each other's needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever been in a vineyard? Mm-hmm. What are they like? Full of grapes, man. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been. Really? No. Uh, I've only been once. By so a bunch. So not a... I've never like walked through and like. I, I can't comment. There, there were a lot of different kinds of grapes. Okay. And all How strong. How high are they? Uh, this was in Texas, and. Maybe five feet high, strung along the wire fences in really long rows. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, like, trained up that way? Uh Uh-huh. And the vine that's planted in the ground comes up on and is trained onto the trellis thing. Uh, I don't know, maybe 20 feet apart? I mean, they're huge. one plant. Oh, really? Yeah. Goes quite a ways. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So, the, and the idea would be that this is like the the sweet wine of mm-hmm. refreshment, and instead it's turned into. Yeah, it's the wedding feast wine. It's supposed blood. to be. Yeah. Exploited neighbor. 
song? Is that the... Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you responsively by a whole verse, is that correct? Sure. All right. Psalm 80, uh, 7 to 14. Restore us, O God of hosts, show the light of your countenance, and we shall be saved. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered by its shadow, and the towering cedar trees by its boughs. You stretched out its tendrils to the sea and its branches to the river. Why have you broken down its wall, so that all who pass by pluck off its grapes? The wild boar of the forest has ravaged it, and the beasts of the field have grazed upon it. Turn now, O God of hosts, look down from heaven, behold and tend this vine, preserve what your right hand has planted. Other side of the love song? What's that? Other side of the love song, perhaps? Tell me more. Uh, from the perspective of Israel the vine, Lord, care for us. Hmm. Uh, being eaten he planted by us here and yeah. we're broken down, unprotected, being eaten by the beasts. Yeah. Tend this vine. Guide it toward... Uh, what you planted it for. Yeah, so there's this. It, it, there's a lovely sort of like relational entreaty here, calling out to God in a time of trouble. Mm-hmm. It's also insane. In which bit? Well, it's like uh, the scriptures for um, this Sunday. That it's two days mm-hmm. from now or whatever it is. Um, it's like. The Lord asks, like, have I been unfair? Mm-hmm. Like, where's the problem here? Or as my children would say, like, seriously? <laughs> seriously, Dad? Seriously? <laughs> and Or like yeah. uh, with Jonah, like, two weeks ago or last oh, week, sure. whatever it was, like... Is it right for you to be angry? Yes. About the vine? Angry enough to die. No, so that's all. Like, there's this, there's this, there's this tension between uh, a voicing uh, of need and despair, bewilderment, but then, like, it's never the will of God to afflict anyone. Right. And so, the projection of that onto sort of a whimsical, you know, capricious God who yeah. just, you know, what, like, took his eye off the ball or something? Deliberately and, broke down the wall, let the beast yeah, in. Right? Yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's yeah. sort of like a bit of an artful dodge of our own responsibility, I think, in terms of... 
mm-hmm. you know, so that's always a tension, I think, in any, yeah. like, it's good to give voice to that stuff, but then when that hedges into, like, projecting onto God our own yeah. blindnesses and captivities, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, you can see that in both of these passages. Uh-huh. The devastation and injustice being perhaps attributed to God. <laughs> and even as Isaiah is <laughs> countering mm-hmm. that, saying, no, judge between me and my vineyard. I did everything I could. Mm-hmm. Uh, planted right. it for justice. Right. Even in saying that, we still see the uh, yeah, attribution of, yeah. of what we've done to the divine. Because it's so much less painful than yeah. having to just recognize that in the mirror, I think. Uh-huh. And in recognizing that in the mirror, uh, injustice among human beings, that means God gives us the freedom to be unjust and cruel and violent and murderous. Mm. And that's upsetting too. Uh, I think we prefer the, a picture of the world under God's tight control, Mm -hmm. even if it's a nasty God. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some tempting thing about the the order or predictability of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is fine, but it's not real. (laughs) No. God does not destroy the creatures of God. Is it, is it, who is it, Kierkegaard, Nietzsche? terrible freedom hmm. I don't know but like oh yeah you have to say Kierkegaard got to God <laughs> um, but yeah I mean it is that the, the terrible beauty of the free will choice right yeah that is the human predicament And God's faithfulness and steadfastness to us through that. Still tending to the vineyard. Mm. Let me sing for my beloved a love song. Mm. Okay. Uh, Philippians. Okay. Is that in sort of uh, follows right on the heels of the canonic hymn? Mm. This is where he does his uh, pharisaical bona fides, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear it. Okay. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew, born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. 
I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the blowing up of Paul's whole self-improvement project mm -hmm. on the road to Damascus. I regard all of it as loss, rubbish, BS, more literally. I think shit, actually. Yep. Yeah. Throw it all out because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. No longer pursuing a righteousness of his own. It comes from doing everything right. But the righteousness from God based on faith. I.e. based on trust. Yeah, and in Romans, like, and it can, it can even be, you could say faith in Christ. There's that section in Romans where it's like it's like you can also read that as the faithfulness of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. It's not even the effort on our own part to. No. Yeah. It's it's the God who sticks with us through thick and thin that we can entrust ourselves to, who is trustworthy. The only thing that. Let's Paul say, I press on to make this resurrection, resurrection life my own is because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Yeah, that claiming. Paul is always pointing towards becoming like Jesus by joining him in his sufferings and his death. So what's he dying to? I mean, in very concrete terms, his whole resume here, mm -hmm. uh, dying to accounting for himself, trying to prove himself in all these external ways. Uh, he's dying to the project of having a righteousness of his own, the project of gain. And you can see how that would feel like a death, right? When, when uh, that is... Yeah. Because that's pretty much the only thing we ever learn from, you know, our parents, our teachers, a lot of churches, mm -hmm. you know, national ethos. Yeah. Is about securing our identity through successful performance of external... Mm -hmm. 
stuff, right? Measuring, gaining, climbing a ladder. All of it. Um, so this is presenting a radically upside down picture of uh, uh, like an economy, if you want to call it that, of yeah. gift. Mm-hmm. Where nothing we have is our own and everything is uh, from God and therefore as weird as it sounds like in each and every circumstance like the Eucharistic prayer says that every day always and everywhere give thanks to you mm-hmm. um, I, that's when you've died like Paul has to all of those ways that you've tried to secure your identity or maintain your self-image and everything is perceived as gift then there is like nothing else to do except Paul's saying rejoice (laughs) it seems like Paul was very good uh, at the self-improvement project like you really gave it a good shot, uh, and it still doesn't work, right? Um, he was like, I think, like the best at it. I think he was he was winning. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the American dream, but it's the American dream, right? Like <laughs> Paul's on top. Um, no, no, but I, finally understands yeah. that the way into the life of God is by becoming like him in his death, in that place of failure and smallness and shame and surrender and just humility of here's here's what I got. Mm -hmm. It's nothing. Um, That's the place where (laughs) we can actually overlap with step into uh, the life of God. Mm -hmm. And thanks be to God, Jesus' death is inseparably joined to his his life mm-hmm. so he <laughs> drags us into that too yeah uh, but it's, it's entered through death yeah and it's why like keep on always talk about losing mm-hmm. rather than winning um, sort of you know Saul Saul why are you persecuting me it's this this sort of terrifying recognition that he's Paul Saul is killing God in the name of God, mm-hmm. and that this sort of like earth-shattering uh, realization that really anything pursued with the self and the maintenance of self-image no matter how good uh, is ultimately like sour grapes yeah poor food I don't know but whatever (laughs) but like the whole problem is that is there's someone doing it rather than what Paul will say in Galatians, you know, two twenty is like it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Mm-hmm. So like the whole that whole Paul project has just fallen away. 
Mm-hmm. And then now there's just rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. All things to all people. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever circumstances dictate, call for. Yeah. Actually responding to mm-hmm. what's happening in each moment. Rather than prescribing what needs to happen in every moment, which oh, yeah. is what he is doing before, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, who's in, who's out, what day of the week is it, you know, can I eat that, can I not? Mm-hmm. You know. gains I had, these I've come to regard as loss because of Christ. So Paul has become a loser. A beautiful loser. Mm-hmm. So the thing, right, is like, to like make this personal, you know, the idea would be to translate that first paragraph of this Philippians into our own lives, like, and ask, mm-hmm. like, what is this actually, like, how is this true for us? If anyone has a reason to be confident in flesh, I have more. So, circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as the law of Pharisee, as a zeal, persecutor of the church, as the righteousness under the law, blameless. So, those need to be translated as the specific mm. circumstances of our lives. Like, so, like, what's our version of that? <laughs> What are our reasons to be confident in the flesh? Mm-hmm. Meaning confident in self-sufficiency. Yeah. And like you can, you can think of it in terms of like three buckets and just see if those like power, possessions, prestige, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are all ways in which like we develop an irrational confidence uh, in the flesh and, mm-hmm. and build up the illusion of the self separate from God, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, Trying to gain something, prove something, establish an identity. Win, hold on, all that exhausting things. <laughs> yeah? You yeah. Did? Okay. Parable of the uh, wicked tenants. This is Matthew 21, 33-46. Jesus said, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Sound familiar? Uh, And then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. The tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated him in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. When the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the vineyard 
owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you ever read the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard his parables, they realized he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. So we had the Throckmorton out earlier looking at that. Why don't you tell the good people on the podcast what we were looking at? Oh, yeah. It's kind of interesting. So in the... Tell them what Throckmorton is, first of all. Besides, this it's is, a very fun name to say. Yeah, I think this one isn't. This is a Kurt Allen synopsis of the four Gospels. So it has uh, all the different Gospel accounts side by side, and especially... Um, synoptics. The synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, you can see the same material as it appears in the different Gospels side by side. And you can see places where uh, it's expanded or varied or things that are left out or contrasted across them. And the same, here it's called the parable of the wicked husbandman. Uh, <laughs> is, Shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three synoptics. And, Matt, and Luke and Mark do what? And Luke and Mark, uh, when we have uh, Jesus is saying, he's, he's narrating, this is the heir, come let us kill him, the inheritance will be ours. They took him, killed him, cast him out of the vineyard. And Mark and Luke have Jesus just continue with this as a rhetorical question. What will the owner of the vineyard do? And Jesus says he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. So those words are in Jesus' mouth. Yes. Versus this account in Matthew. Uh, it's not a rhetorical question. He asks the hearers of his parable, what will the owner of the vineyard do when he comes to those tenants? And they said to him, you will put those wretches to a miserable death. Let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruit in their seasons. So pretty interesting that I think so. Here the the retribution and the vengeance of the landowner, the householder. Um, in the mouths of the crowd. It's interpreted by those who hear the parable. It's not Jesus' own assertion himself here. Which yeah, Gerardians like love that because it puts the -hmm. violence firmly in the kind of camp of of those in the thrall of scapegoating Mm -hmm. violence and, you know, mimetic rivalry. The only thing you can think to do with a hammer is to whack somebody with it, even if you're, you know, you're supposed to put a Band-Aid on a cut or something. Mm -hmm. You know, you just give it another whack with a hammer and see what happens. So the Girardians love to find this everywhere. But 
it is everywhere. It is and everywhere. And they, but they also, they think it's really important that it's in the mouth of the crowd and not right. coming from, this is not God-sanctioned violence. That Going back to our, <laughs> the way human beings project our own violence towards each other onto God yes. and say, look, it is. We have the mandate of heaven to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, That's kind of interesting. It is. Do you want to tease out the allegory for people here? I mean, just, just the basic, like, tropological. I mean, the sun and that kind of stuff. <laughs> the sun <stone>. is Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> the air. Uh, it's, it's interesting that they want to come kill the heir and get his inheritance. Uh, the whole idea is that Jesus is giving us his inheritance already. I know. They didn't have to kill him. He was already going to give it to them. Yeah. To all of us. Um, but you're saying the, the stone the builders rejected? Well, there's, I mean, yeah. just some basic stuff I think people Tell me, I'm not sure what you're... So what? Vineyard as the world, the people of Israel, God's people. Us. Just as we were talking about in Isaiah and Psalm 80. The vine that's been planted and tended. God's pleasant planting. Called to justice and yet uh, enacting oppression. The stone the builder refuses. You know, like if you're building, you know, and I, there's actually somebody in our neighborhood who's having this, this really crappy wooden fence that this huge dog used to like throw itself against. And like literally, like the hounds of hell, like just bark at It's terrifying. Like every time you're scared. Oh no. So, anyway, thanks be to God. Um, they're getting like a, a serious, like, stone wall like wow with the like a rock wall foundation and like boards going 12 feet in the air and like so anyways and the builders are very friendly so they say hey how are you going and like they if you watch these guys like they have a whole bunch of stone in the back of their truck and they choose which of the rocks face out mm-hmm. for the Joneses to comment on and which ones they put like on the interior of the wall, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so there's rejects. Yes. Uh, and it just got me thinking that like, like that, the outward facing stone that everybody that mm-hmm. does get chosen is always based on Power, possessions, prestige. Mm-hmm. Paul's resume. Yeah, the resume. And that the rejected stone um, that knows itself only as uh, trash, rubbish, and lost. Mm-hmm. P- 
poor but rich in Christ, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Slave but free, blah, blah, blah. Um, that is who we see in the person of Jesus on the cross, right? Mm -hmm. Mock, scorched, humiliated. Um, <clears throat> but it is paradoxically the only like uh, firm place to stand. Mm -hmm. um, because nothing can touch it, nothing can hurt it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that's all I was thinking yeah. about. It's like the, the rejected stone is that's like death of self that's the sea falling to the mm -hmm. ground that's Paul's rubbish yeah. um, that's like just to make it like incredibly concrete like if you're sitting for 20 minutes in silence it's entering into that that place of the great undoing right mm -hmm. Learning a, to live from a piece that passes understanding. Right? Every time you let go of a thought, or, or you plan, or worry about the past, or mm -hmm. whatever, um, you are dying to the flesh mm -hmm. and placing your tr trust in God. Mm -hmm. Right? It can be very. The one sure place. Can it be very concrete? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not hard to enact this. I mean, it is not complicated to enact this. Yeah. <laughs> it's the one reliable, steady, what place? Yeah, I mean, not Eckhart calls it the unground. Right. You know, but yeah. yeah. The unground. Uh, but it can't be damaged by circumstance, right? You fall on the stone, the stone doesn't break. Right. What the stone falls on you, it's not the stone that breaks. Like, this is the one unshakable yeah. thing. Uh, you know, St. Mary's Church, Episcopal Church down in Provo, uh, when it was built, they got all the bricks donated from the brickyard down there. Oh, that's right. And they were all the reject bricks. Mm. And so if you're sitting in that chapel, it's all this kind of yellow, white brick. It is. And yeah. they're all pretty, you can see places where they're dinged up. Oh, really? And the whole church is <laughs> the reject stone. Um, so something also about um, God's... Favor or steadfastness to for the poor, for the lowly, mm -hmm. for the outcast. Yeah. Sorry, my brain's not really working, but that's about all I got. Is there anything else? Or Good. Okay, well, I guess we'll see what you come up with. I guess so. God bless everyone. Okay, take care. Bye.